Well, this morning I want to begin my message by wishing a happy belated birthday. Happy belated birthday to the United States of America. 243 years old. I don't know if y'all uh, celebrated uh, this past Thursday. I mean, uh, celebration is a natural thing to do at a time of a birthday. I had time with my family. We saw like a parade, red, white, and blue parade of kids and everything in the morning and then ate hamburgers and hot dogs and fireworks in the evening. Anybody see fireworks or hear fireworks? It's crazy now, isn't it? It's crazy. But uh, So how many of y'all celebrate? Did you celebrate the birthday? Yeah. So a lot of times in birthdays, one of the things that comes alongside them is celebration. But it's not just celebration. At least for me, whenever there's a birthday, it's also a time of reflection. And so as I've grown older and I've just been getting older and older in years, you know, I'm turning, you know, 30, 32 now, I think it is. So old, I know. But seriously, though, on my birthdays, I tend to not only celebrate, but also tend to reflect. I tend to reflect and look back and, and think, okay, you know, where have I come from? What's been happening the last year and this last season? And then I look to the future. I look ahead to, to you know, what's on the horizon, what new things are next. And a lot of times I just kind of look around at my life in the present and kind of ask myself, you know, hey, where am I? What's going on in this season of life? And while a lot of us, you know, kind of celebrate uh, our, our nation and its birthday, a lot of times we don't take as much time to step back and to reflect as well. And there's a lot of things we could reflect about. We could reflect on our founding and on our values, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, things like that, and think, you know, are we really living into those? Or we could look to the future and think about what kind of America are we creating? Are we going to pass on to our children in the next generations? But lately, I've been more reflecting on where we are currently. On where we are currently. Because, you know, on Thursday, a lot of people came together as one and were celebrating in all different ways and parades and communities all across the country. You and I know that on Wednesday, on Friday, and even today, largely we are a country that is divided. Would you agree with that? A recent NBC poll found that 8 out of 10 people say they believe the country is mainly or totally divided. 80% of people in America agreeing on one thing. I mean, that's pretty astounding, right? On everything else, it seems like we're divided. On the political issues of the day, we're divided. Immigration, the environment, the economy, our foreign allies, our, our foreign enemies, how to deal with all of these things. When we look at the political issues, we're largely divided. When we turn on the TV and we see people trying to come up with solutions to things, we see Congress is definitely divided. I'm, I guess, lucky to have a diverse group of friends on Facebook. So whenever I log on to Facebook, I see, hey, guess what? Relationally, we're divided. You know, one person is posting for something, another person is posting against something, and then they start going at each other in the comments, and it just kind of devolves from there, we are largely divided. And one person, she wrote into her paper in California, and, and she said, from her perspective, this is how things are. She said, I feel like we're at war. Not with another country. Not with terrible diseases and plagues. Not with ruthless dictators. I feel like we're at war with ourselves. And in the midst of people feeling this divide, and some people feeling like we're at war, I mean, you know, just agreeing to disagree or having a civil conversation, that seemed to have faded a little bit. 
Now people are, are quick to accuse other people, to rush to judgment, to, to slander, to do all sorts of things. And even now when people feel like they're at war, a lot of times they feel like they're justified to use violence or to use whatever means are necessary to get what they want. And now look, I, I joked earlier about not being that old. I'm not that old, but it doesn't even feel like in my lifetime it's always been this way. I think most of us would agree that a lot of times these days people are acting bad. People, people are acting bad. And now, whenever I see or hear about people acting bad, I think back to seminary. When I had a professor say, this was just randomly off the cuff. He said, look, whenever you see people acting bad, a lot of times there's something underneath that. A lot of times when people are acting bad, underneath that, they're actually mad. I think we can agree there are a lot of mad people right now. There are a lot of mad people. People are mad at how they feel like the president is being treated. People are mad at how they feel like the president is treating other people. People are mad at police officers. People are mad at school shootings week after week. People are mad for all sorts of reasons. And a lot of times it leads them to act bad. And now none of us in here, you know, we're all happy and we're all go lucky. We're not, we're not mad. We're not acting bad. No, but a lot of this is the reality. People are acting bad. A lot of times I think underlying that is because they're mad. But then the professor went on and he said something really profound I never thought about. He said a lot of times underlying the fact that people are mad is the reality that they're sad. They're sad. And I never thought of things this way. And this is a very rudimentary psychological framework and it, you know, I'm sure it, it falls apart pretty quickly. But I think this is a pretty good diagnosis of where we are. Because a lot of people are sad. A lot of people are sad when they turn on the news. They're, they're sad when they, when, when they see friends and people who can't even talk to each other anymore or treat each other with dignity. People are sad when they think about the country that, that, that the next generation is going to inherit. People are sad about a lot of things. And I think one of the reasons why we act bad and we act out is because whenever we're feeling sad and we're feeling mad, a lot of times we don't exactly know what to do with it. We don't exactly know what to do with it. And there are countless reasons for how we got to this place. But I wonder if, if one of the solutions to our division and one of the maybe just small solutions to us acting bad is learning how to deal with our anger and learning how to deal with our sadness. Because these are emotions that are difficult for a lot of us. They can be complicated. And we think, you know what? Hey, a lot of other people are mad and they're sad, so I don't want to dump my emotions onto them. And we think, well, look, I can't dump my emotions on my family or talk with them about it because my family are the ones that made me sad and that made me mad. So we think we can't go to them. You know, on, on Facebook and social media, you know, it's okay to be mad, but like sad, when you're sad on social media, people kind of get weird and they're like, no, just be happy and post vacation photos. So we don't really feel like we can go there. A lot of us are so isolated. We don't have strong relationships where we can be real and talk with other people. And then when it comes to God, we, we think, you know what, we, we, have to, we have to be happy and we have to praise him so we can't express this kind of stuff to him. And so what happens is it, it's really like a balloon. It's like a balloon. It just fills and fills and fills until it 
I'm not going to pop it, okay? I'm not going to pop it. I thought about it. I thought about it. The pressure builds until it finally pops. But this morning, I want to talk with you about how we might can release some of that pressure from the balloon. How we might can release some of that pressure from our own lives. How we might can relieve some of that pressure perhaps from the collective soul of our nation. How we can relieve some of that pressure in hopes that perhaps we might, as people, even just starting here, might begin to treat one another a little bit better and stop acting so badly. And the way I'm going to talk about dealing with our anger and our sadness, it might make some of you a little uncomfortable. Or this might be kind of new. It might stretch you a little bit. But what I want to talk about this morning is expressing our sadness and even our anger to God. Expressing those things to God. Because I don't know if you know this, but you know we've been in this series, The Psalms of Summer. And when you look at the Psalms, the majority of the Psalms aren't happy and, and praiseworthy and people clapping and giving thanks to God. The majority of the Psalms are Psalms where people are expressing sadness to God, where people are expressing anger to God. The majority of the Psalms, the backbone of them, are what we call Psalms of Lament. And lament is simply a word that means to grieve out loud. And so in the Psalms of Lament, we see people bringing their sadness, their grief, their sense of loss, their anger, their questions, their sense of injustice. They bring their rage. They bring all of who they are before God, and they lay these things at God's feet. Sometimes it's, it's personal things going on in their lives. People are, are feeling hurt. They're feeling abandoned by God. And so they, they sing a psalm and they, they, they give it to God. Other times it's communal psalms that we see in the book of Psalms. The nation of Israel coming before God saying, God, why is this happening to us? What's going on here? But it might surprise you that the book of Psalms is full of psalms of lament because a lot of times we just skip over these. We rush past them. They, they don't have psalms of lament on like pretty little wall hangings at Hobby Lobby. They don't sell those many places because they make a lot of us uncomfortable and we don't really know what to do with them. Because some of us are taught when we come into church, we, we have to put on what one of my pastor friends, he calls it church face. That's where you just have to smile and act like everything's okay even though your life's falling apart. Some of us were taught that when you come through the doors of the church, you need to dress up and you need to just put on a smile and act like everything's okay. Others of us were taught that if, if we express sadness or anger or we ask questions to God, then it's just a sign that we don't really have any faith. And, and so we shouldn't do that. Others of us, we, we, we've just never really opened things up and seen what's in there. We've thought, you know what? Good Christians don't feel this way. But when we look at the Psalms, we see over and over again people expressing all of who they are to God. I mean, we have one psalm where, where the psalmist cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You might remember that one. Jesus prayed it on the cross as well. Another one says this, I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. Another one says, how long, Lord, 
How long will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? And what's interesting and perhaps surprising is that God didn't like delete all of these psalms. Instead, he's given them to us through the gift of the Holy Bible. He's given them to us. And what's surprising is that when people come and express their whole selves to God, God doesn't shun them. He doesn't just strike them down in an instant or anything like that. No, instead, God welcomes these cries. He welcomes them. He wants to hear from us. He wants us to express our whole selves to him because when we do that, instead of growing apart from him, like we might guess would happen if we start telling God what we really feel and what we really think, even though he already knows it, instead of growing apart, we actually begin to grow closer to God because authenticity and vulnerability lead to intimacy. That's true in human relationships and it's true in our relationship with God as well. Authenticity and vulnerability lead to intimacy. And now when you look at the Psalms of Lament, they're not just kind of random shouts to God. They actually have a pretty standard pattern of prayer that people use when they're, when they're praying to God, when they're crying out to Him and expressing all of these things to Him. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to walk through Psalm 13, which Oscar's saying. I want to walk through that Psalm kind of line by line or section by section and look at the different parts of a prayer of lament so that we can learn what, what David was praying and also how God might be inviting us to pray and to bring to him ourselves to him in prayer. And so if you look in your bulletin, you'll see Psalm 13 is there. You can follow along there. It'll be on the screen as well, but you might want to circle some things or make some notes in the margins there. And when you look at Psalm 13, the Psalm of David, in the very first words we discover that lamenting to God begins with simply turning to God. I mean, look at what David says. He says this, he says, How long, Lord? How long, Lord? That might not seem like a significant line, but it's very significant. Because here in the psalm, we don't exactly know what's going on with David. Some people think that he had a sickness that was going to ultimately lead him to death. Other people think he was just facing some other external stuff in his life. But in the midst of it, he feels abandoned by God. But instead of turning away from God and moving away from God, he turns towards God. And he cries out to God in prayer. And he simply begins and he addresses God and he says, How long, Lord? How long? And this is something significant for you and for me. Because a lot of times when we have negative things going on in our lives, when we have anger, when we have sadness, when we have all of this stuff inside of us, when we have questions and we don't know what to do with them, a lot of times the temptation is to move away from God. But here we learn that we're called to turn towards God and to trust that He is big enough to handle it. He's big enough to handle it. He's had many people shouting at him. Emily told me I couldn't use this uh, video clip in the sermon. Y'all remember Lieutenant Dan and Forrest Gump? Yes. She said, I couldn't play that. It's, it's inappropriate. I don't remember exactly what he said. God's big enough 
to handle it. We need to turn towards him, though, when we're experiencing these things. He's a good father who wants to hear from us. So that's where lament starts. It starts with simply turning towards God, but then it continues in verses 1 and 2. As David gets real with God, he turns to God and then he gets real with God. He just tells God what he's on his heart, what he's feeling. He says this, he says, How long, Lord? How long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And here, David, very clearly, he's real with God. He lays out to God what's on his heart and what he's experiencing. And he says very clearly, God, I'm feeling abandoned by you. I'm feeling like you're not there. So he talks to him about that. Then he says, look, I am in deep anguish. I have sorrow in my heart. And he talks about his enemy. We don't know if this is the death and the sickness or this is a physical enemy outside of him. But he talks to God about his relationship with God, his relationship with himself, and his relationship with other people. And he just pours them all out for God to hear. He gets real with God. And this is the pattern we see over and over again in the Psalms. People saying to God, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, I thought you were on our side. They say, God, why am I feeling this way? God, I am so downcast, I'm feeling depressed. God, what's going on here? God, my enemies are triumphing over me. God, they're destroying everything around us. God, I thought you were the God of Israel. What are you doing? People bring all of the relationships in their lives to God, trusting that he is big enough to handle them. And what we find is that this stuff isn't filtered. It's not filtered, it's not sanitized. That's a lot of times why we skip over it. We see people doing this, and this is what God is inviting us to do as well. To turn to him and then to get real with him. And I've, I've prayed this prayer. I've prayed, how long, Lord? How long? The season where I prayed that the most is when I was feeling depressed. I remember lying on the floor of my apartment. Just saying to God, God, how long? I feel like you're not there. I haven't felt your presence in a long time. God, I go to worship. Everybody else seems to feel something, but I don't feel like, God, how long will I feel lifeless and joyless? How long? And I think that's a question that all of us have had at some point. How long? How long, Lord, will this grief last after I lost my loved one? How long, Lord, until justice comes about for all people? How long until this stranglehold of addiction loses its power over me? How long until my family is restored and there is a sense of peace again? How long, Lord, this is a deep cry that all of us have had or felt at some point, but we don't always turn to God and get real with Him. Instead, a lot of times we turn to other things and we try to numb it. We try to bottle it up. We try to deal with it in other ways. But we see here that we're called to turn to God and to get real with God. And then David continues. 
David continues, and after saying he feels like God has hidden his face, he asked God boldly to do some things. He says this, he says, look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. And so after getting real with God and telling him what he's feeling, he's bold in what he asks God. He says, look, God, give me your presence. Give me your face. Give me light. God, help me in the midst of this situation that's going on here. He comes before God and he asks God boldly for what he needs. And this is the pattern we see when people are lamenting before God. They come and they ask him boldly, trusting that God wants to hear from them. And God wants you to ask him boldly for things in your life. He wants you to ask. He wants you to seek. He wants you to knock. Jesus even told a parable about the importance of coming before God and asking him boldly. He told a parable about a widow and a judge. And he said, look, there's an unjust judge. And this widow has a grievance. She has some injustices in her life. And so she comes before this judge one day and she says, hey, judge, will you help me out? And the judge says, no, I don't have time for you. Go away. So the next day, what does she do? She comes back. She comes back and she asks him again. She says, judge, will you make this right? He says, no, go away. She comes back another day. She, she says, judge, come on, help me out here. I'm a, I'm a widow. And he says, no. She keeps coming back day after day, after day, she is persistent even when it feels like there's no answer. And then finally, do you know what the judge says? The judge says, okay, because you've been bothering me so much, finally, I'll give you what you want. Here is your justice. And Jesus, he interprets this in an interesting way. He says, look, if that's how an unjust judge treats a widow, imagine how much better your heavenly father will treat you. His son and his daughter when you come before him and you ask him for the things you need in your life, he's not gonna turn his head away. He's not gonna tell you to come back tomorrow. No, he wants to hear from us. Jesus says, ask boldly for what you need in your life. Ask boldly. And here's the thing. As we ask boldly and pray bold prayers, our trust in God grows. As we ask boldly, our trust in God grows. Notice what's happening in these Psalms of Lament. Even when people are feeling abandoned by God, even when I was feeling abandoned by God, I still had at least a mustard seed of faith crying out to him, trusting that he was there and that he was at least hearing me, even if he wasn't responding. And so these people are bringing their whole selves before God in prayer. They're turning to him. They're getting real. They're asking boldly. And then in pretty much all of the Psalms of Lament, there's an interesting twist. At the end of pretty much all of the Psalms of Lament, people say, okay, God, I trust you. And then they actually turn to praise God in the end. I mean, notice, notice what David does here in verses five and six at the end. After crying out, how long, Lord, David ends the psalm with these words, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. That's kind of, it's kind of whiplash, right? When you read it. I mean, like three verses before, he's saying, God, where are you? 
God, you've hidden from me. And then now, a few verses later, he's saying, but I, but I still trust in your unfailing love, and I'll, I'll sing praises to you. I mean, it's kind of an odd transition here. And, and some scholars have tried to explain what's happening because this is the pattern in pretty much all of the Psalms of Lament. People begin with complaints, and then they end with praise. And some people say, you know what, well, maybe the first half of the psalm was written, and then finally when things changed in their life for the better, then they wrote the second half, and then they smushed them together. Other people say that in worship in Israel, people would come and they would bring their cries to God in the temple, and then a priest would pronounce a blessing over the people. And the priest would say, look, God is with you. God is slow to anger. He abounds in steadfast love. Trust him. He desires to save all his people. And then after hearing that blessing, they would kind of change and shift into these words of trust and these words of praise. But I tend to think that what's happening here is that as people open up their selves to God, as they bring him the good, the bad, and the ugly, and they lay it at his feet, I think what happens is when we do that, we actually begin to grow in our relationship with God. And we begin to trust Him more. I believe that because I found that to be true in my own life. I found that to be true in other people's lives. When we're willing to get real with God and to bring everything we have before Him and to transfer the anger, the sadness, the guilt, the burdens, the questions, the sense of injustice, when we're willing to transfer all of that from our hands to His hands, what we discover is that God is faithful and he is big enough to handle everything going on in our lives. It's not always quick. It's not always easy. The journey doesn't always come without pain. But I found over and over again that when we're willing to bring all of this before God, he is faithful. He's faithful to meet us, to accept our prayers, but not only to accept our prayers and all of this stuff going on in our lives, we also discover that he's able to do something about it. I have a friend who goes to thrift stores and salvage yards and collects old window frames. You know, the paint's peeling off, and then, and then she, she takes out the glass if there's glass on there, and she just has a ton of these at her house, in her garage. And she also has all these little buckets of colored glass from different projects or just different things she stumbled upon. And what she does with these is, is she puts together all of these raw kind of broken down materials and she makes beautiful mosaics out of them. Now, I didn't have a picture of one of hers, but I found one online that's like hers. And she makes things like this. And whenever I see her mosaics, I always think, you know, that's kind of how God works in our lives. God takes the old things, the broken down things, the things that we feel like aren't worth salvaging, the things that we want to throw away. He takes those. He uses the dark things in our lives, the light things in our lives, the good, the bad, our anger, our sadness, our high times, our low times. He takes all of those things and then what does he do? He is able to make something beautiful out of them. 
Something that we could have never imagined if we just saw all of these raw materials on their own. And when we just look at our lives, we think, what, what good can come from this? But this is how our God works. He is a God of redemption. Who can take the cross, a tool for crucifixion, and turn it into a sign and a symbol of our salvation. He can take the darkness in our lives, the anger, the sadness, everything that we're feeling, experiencing, going through, and he can make something beautiful out of it. But here's the thing, we have to be willing to hand those things over to him. And when we do that, then he can begin to work. And so this morning, rather than me closing with a normal prayer like we do each week, I want to invite us to kind of say a prayer together, to, to pray prayers of lament together. And I know this, this might be weird for some of you. This, all of this might be uncomfortable, might be stretching you. But I want to invite us as a group to turn to God, to get real with God, and to ask God to move boldly, trusting that as we do these things, we're actually going to grow closer to God rather than apart from Him. And so in your bulletin, you'll see there's that little note card. We put a couple of them in there. And so if you have an extra one or somebody didn't get a bulletin, you can pass them one of those note cards. What we're going to invite you to do is Oscar's going to come up and he's going to play Psalm 13 again over us. And as he does, I want to invite you to just tell God what's on your heart. Maybe it's a question you've had for God for a long time. Maybe it's just how long, Lord? Maybe you have some sadness or some grief in your life and you just want to say, God, here it is. I've been hiding it from you, but here it is on full display. Maybe, maybe you're angry about some things. Write those down. Maybe there's things going on in our country and in our world, and they grieve you, and you say, you know what, God, we need you to do something. We need you to act. We need you to move. Yes, we know you want us to do something, but, but I got to just put this to you as well. Maybe your card's going to be blank because you don't even have the words. You don't even know what to say. Here's the good news. The Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. And when we don't have words to say, God knows. It doesn't have to be coherent. We're not going to like pass them around or, or read them out loud or anything. What we're going to do is in a minute, we're going to wheel this uh, prayer wall over here. But we just want to invite you, after you write your prayer, to come forward and, and to put it up here on the prayer wall as just a simple sign of trust as a way of saying, God, here's who I am. Here's what I'm going through. Here are my struggles. I trust you with him. I want to move them from my hands to your hands. And so I invite you to take your card, take a few minutes, and begin writing out your prayer.